Welcome, everyone, to the fourth session in our series, Centering on Ministry. I'll explain what, uh, what that means. But uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at issues related to getting ourselves prepared to move into the building that God's allowed us to purchase uh, within the last few months. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 in your Bibles. We'll look at that in a bit. But the reason this series is titled Centering on Ministry is because uh, we have been for years referring to our future home as a ministry center. And we've done that on purpose because we want to de-emphasize the idea that the church is a building and we want to emphasize the idea that the place where we regularly meet is a center where ministry occurs, but also where training occurs for ministry to take place outside the four walls as well. And so that's the idea of our ministry center. And so we've been calling our future home that, and now our, uh, our, our permanent home uh, that we'll be moving to later this year, Lord willing, uh, a ministry center. And that lingo has caught on. Now I hear everybody talking about the ministry center, and that's a good thing because more important than the words is the mindset. And that's why we're calling this series then, as a play on those words, uh, Centering on Ministries. We prepare to uh, later this year, as I say, hopefully, move into the ministry center. We want to be ready for that. And there are a number of uh, areas in which we need to prepare ourselves uh, evangelistically and spiritually and, uh, and so on. And so I'm taking some time, a good bit of time, a number of weeks. This is the fourth and we'll have many more to get us, get us ready for that. We were able to take a major step forward in moving toward uh, our ministry center and occupying it this past Wednesday when the Trenton Planning Commission approved our site plan. So that is uh, very good. And I learned something after that meeting that uh, I didn't know and is, is very good news. I thought that when we uh, go into future phases in our ministry center, uh, you all know, many, many of you have seen our master plan, and we plan to add on double the size of the uh, worship area there. And that could happen very soon, depending on funding. We have an application in for some funding that we will hear about by the end of the year, if that funding came through, then that project would start right away. But whether right away or later, there are going to be phases to the building. And I thought that we had to go before the planning commission for each of those phases. Uh, but we do not. Uh, we are done with the planning commission. So we will simply deal with the building department then for our future phases. And the building department has been thus far quite uh, cooperative uh, with us. And so we're, we're finished with the public meetings and all of that sort of stuff. Got that done, got that unanimously approved this past Wednesday, and so that was a very helpful and major step forward for us. So that's why we are in this series, and the title of it is Centering on Ministry. And in the three prior weeks, we've looked at the centrality of the church to God's mission. And we also, in the second week, looked at the beauty of God's church. And we looked at, in particular, what makes the church beautiful is the fact that Christ is its head. It's his church. And so it's a beautiful uh, entity. It's a beautiful institution. It's a beautiful organism because Christ is at its head. But it's also beautiful because of those who comprise the body of Christ. They are redeemed people from all walks, all backgrounds, and all levels of maturity. And so the Bible presents this 
this beautiful picture, a picture of wonder, really, that you could have people from all uh, backgrounds and walks of life come together and be unified in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as Ephesians 4 says. And so it's beautiful because it's comprised of redeemed people from all over and of all different backgrounds. But it's also beautiful because those people, the Bible says, are all gifted by God to be involved and play an important role in the mission that he's assigned to his church. And so every one of you who are part of this church, God says that you have been uniquely wired, uniquely gifted, uh, uniquely endowed to participate in a meaningful way in the mission that God has given to us. And so there is no part, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, which is dispensable. All the parts of the body are indispensable. And the eye cannot say, because I'm not the ear, therefore I'm not needed. And you remember reading that in 1 Corinthians 12. And so for yourself, make sure that you never have that mentality. They've got it covered, they don't need me. To the extent that any part of the body does not function as part of the body, the body is weakened. And so one area of preparing ourselves is to be reminded of that, and I'll be doing that in the weeks to come, reminding you that all of us are to be engaged actively using the gifts and abilities that God has given us to carry out His, His work. So we've seen that the church is, is central to God's program, that it's, it's beautiful. And then last week we began to remind ourselves of the mission that God has given to His church. And so I'm going to do some reminding about that and then expand on what we looked at last week. But as we look at the mission of the church, we begin with Jesus' final words to his first followers. You find those in a few places, but one of them, in most well-known, is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus says, you're to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And then he says, surely I'm with you always uh, until the very end of the, the age. And so we're in the age. And in this age, what we're supposed to be doing is that, making disciples. Now, the way those disciples are made uh, clues us in into what we're, broad categories as to what we're supposed to be about. Because in verse 19 of Matthew 28, there is one command. It sounds like there's a bunch of commands. You know, go. Sounds like a command. And, uh, and baptizing sounds like a command. And teaching sounds like a command. But there's really one command. And the command is make disciples. And the make disciples is done as you are going. And... As you are baptizing and teaching, that is how you fulfill this command to make disciples. And you're to teach them how much? You're to teach them everything I've commanded you. So this is a mouthful, isn't it? This is a, this is a lifelong project in discipling people or of discipleship. And it has a beginning point. People come to faith in Christ and they express that faith in Christ publicly when they are baptized. And then they are taught to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us. And so, what are we to be about? What is the mission that we're to carry out together and to use our collective abilities and gifts that God has given for His mission? That mission is to make disciples. 
And our theme verse for our church has been from day one, Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Him, Christ. Teaching and admonishing everyone. So teaching, Jesus says to do, is part of the discipleship process. Paul says teaching and admonishing. Admonishing means warning. So we teach and we also soberly warn people about the need, yes, to come to Christ and the need to continue in Christ. So we teach and we admonish, we warn every person with all wisdom so that we can present every person mature in Christ. So that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to reach people and we're trying to teach people. We're trying to evangelize people and we're trying to edify people, build them up. It's all part of the discipleship, make disciples. And that, that involves a process. It's not something that you get when you just come to Jesus and now you got it. We all know that. But rather there is the initiation, but then there is the process of becoming like Christ, presenting everyone mature in Christ like Jesus. And so that's our, that's our mission, and it involves this process that has a beginning. When people come to Christ, it'll have an end when we die or Jesus returns, but either way, it'll mean glory. So you've got coming to Christ, and you've got the future in glory, but in between, there's the down and dirty here and now. And that's the discipleship process, moving us toward Christ-likeness. Paul said of himself, Philippians 3, I'm pressing on toward the goal, but I've not attained. If Paul had not attained, you haven't attained. And I haven't attained. It is a, an ongoing process. So it starts and, and it continues. And it continues, says Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, teaching and admonishing every person, and then notice this phrase, with all wisdom. So the process is we teach and we warn, but we do this with all wisdom. Now remember what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of truth, the application of knowledge. We can know but not apply. If we know and fail to apply, we're foolish. Those who apply what they know, use the knowledge as intended, the Bible describes as wise. And so we want to help impart wisdom, the application of of truth into the lives of people who are in the process of becoming like Jesus. Now, here is something that I believe our churches miss. And we miss to our own detriment. And that is, that wisdom is contained collectively in the experience of God's people. There's a bunch of wisdom looking at me right now. Really. Sometimes very hard-fought, hard-won wisdom. Because we've been around the block. And we've experienced stuff, good and bad. And we've seen how we've had to apply in particular situations and circumstances the truth that God gives us in His Word. 
And so everybody here has got their different sets of circumstances, different places along the road, and all of them evidence wisdom that could be passed on to these brothers and sisters that we're trying to bring along to maturity in Christ. I call it generational wisdom that we do a lousy job of handing off. We really do a lousy job. And the Bible speaks of it often. The Old Testament, my son, listen to my words. My son, listen. Generational. In Titus chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 5, older women, older men are to teach younger women and younger men. The Bible expects that this wisdom from one generation to another will be passed on, but we do a horrible job of doing that in our churches. And as a result, we have one generation after another. Some will catch it. Many, many will not. The statistics are scary. I've seen statistics that say 70% of evangelical young people leave the church and don't come back. 70%? One way to judge the effectiveness of God's work here is whether or not we pass the baton on to the next generation. So we are teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. And, and a major part of that wisdom is generational wisdom. Experiences of God's people that we can help others with proactively before they go through what you did. And if we're honest, we have to say before they mess up like you did and like I did. Right? That wisdom is found in, yes, what, by what God's grace we were able to do right, but also what we did wrong. Learn, my son, from my failures. Learn from what I failed to do right, so that you don't have to go the same route I did. Now, how does that happen, then? If it's a lifelong process, and if there's a generational aspect to this, what can a church do to collect that so that each generation benefits from it. Well, there are a number of things we can do, and I will talk about some of them. One of the things churches could do is make sure older people and younger people actually talk to each other. So, you don't have separate churches within a church. You don't have the young people always doing young people stuff. And the older people always doing older people stuff. Now, young people need to do young people stuff. And older people do as well. That's why we've got older people groups. <laughs> and we've got younger people groups and ministries in the church. But they should not always be segregated physically from each other. I mean, one thing a church can do is force them to be together so that young people actually know some older people in their lives. People that have been around the block, people have to have something to impart to them. So that's just one simple thing you can do. And that's why in our community groups, on Sunday evenings at meet in homes, there isn't a young people's group, and there isn't an old people's group. There's a mix, each group is a mixture. Older and younger, mature in the Lord, new in the Lord, so that we can benefit from and help each other. So that's one simple thing we can do. 
Then another thing we can do is an ambitious project that is not so simple. But by God's grace, if he gives me another 15 years or so, then by God's grace we will implement what I started to talk about last week. And that is that collective wisdom includes knowing certain things that are going to challenge you at certain points in the process of life. There are certain points in just living, just in life, even if you don't get thrown any major curveballs, if, if you just go a straight line from here to age 70 or 80 or how, often, how long the Lord gives you, if you don't have any crises, you just go straight. And of course, all of us are going to have crises. But just imagine if you didn't, you're still going to hit points along the road that are quite familiar to all of us. And if you don't negotiate those points along the road well, you can easily be derailed from moving on toward maturity. Now, what are some of those points along the road? I talked about some of them last week. But we call it uh, moving toward maturity. You see our theme verse there. And the points along the road I have on my trusty iPad. What a cool device, you know? I've got handwritten notes that you take a picture of with a camera, and now these handwritten notes are on my iPad. What a cool thing. I did a wedding yesterday, and I've been using an iPad for weddings and funerals. And I was in the, you know, the preparation room, the green room, whatever, a minute before the wedding starts with the groomsmen. We've got a minute before we're supposed to go out. I pick up my iPad, you know, I've, I've made sure it's all charged 100%, all that stuff. And, and I look at it to see my notes, and we're ready to go. And all I've got is white blank on my screen. And I begin to panic. And flashing through my mind are all kinds of things. Tomorrow's sermon is God is bigger. <laughs> but I'm going, that's got to hit me like real fast, okay? <laughs> that's one of the things that's hitting me. But I've got this white screen. I'm starting to panic now. You need to know, whenever I rely on this thing, I always print out, too. So I have the printout sitting next to me. I'm getting ready to grab the printout, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see like a letter up here, a huge font letter, like a 200-font letter. <laughs> Maybe you know an iPad or an iPhone. If you hit it, you can make the font bigger just by with your fingers. So I guess I was messing with the thing, and it got to like 200 font. And finally, the iPad said, I have no idea what you want. I just give up, man. You just got a white screen. So now, 30 seconds to go. I'm doing this with my fingers. And it comes down to the regular size. And they got married. And all God's people said. Anyway, that was just a little side trail. I got this cool iPad. And on my uh, iPad, I have a list of these, uh, these points along the road that we each run into. There's the, start at the beginning, the birth of a child. And all of the challenges that go with the birth of a child for that, that young couple. And there are things that we know they're going to be challenged with, don't we? Things that you were challenged with. The collective wisdom that we can, we can help them with. Now, I listed some of that. I've got a long list of those challenges. I won't bore you with that here. But birth is one. Toddlers is another one. 
because now this little, wonderful, fearfully made little machine can talk and talk back and say no and defy. And so how do I discipline this child? Do we have any collect? Does God have anything to say about that? One, yes. And is there any collective wisdom from God's people with regard to that? Absolutely. How did you navigate that? How did you do that? How did you do it right and how did you do it wrong? And then there's this, the child goes to kindergarten. And there's the anxiety of the, you know, the parents and there's the comparing and the contrasting with the other kids in a bigger way than what you've had before. There are challenges in elementary school that we've got listed junior high <laughs> and all the hormonal things and all, and all the stuff they're being bombarded with in terms of propositions and what they're told they should believe. Senior high, that becomes even more intense. And they're having to make decisions and think about decisions that can be life-altering, college age, college and career age, marriage, singles, middle age years, midlife, midlife issues, and then issues for seniors like retirement and health and all kinds of things. So these are all things that if you just go through life, you're going to face those, right? And the church has collective wisdom to impart. And what we want to do and are going to do and in the process of actually doing is collecting that wisdom so it can be a benefit intergenerationally to those that we are seeking to disciple. And so we're on this road to maturity and the road has all of these mile markers along the way, if you will. And we know what they are and we know what the, the challenges are. But they're not just then... The transitions in a, a smooth life and a, and a straight road. Because none of us have in a fallen world a straight road. So there's the unexpected stuff. And they're the crises. These are the potholes in the road that you weren't quite prepared for. A diagnosis, a separation or a divorce, a death, a job loss, finances, and so people are grieving, people are having to deal with the aftermath of these unexpected potholes along the road. And sometimes these things can be so severe that it's going to, it's going to slow, even stop someone's growth for a period of time. They need to pull off the side of the road and go to a, a restoration area to be restored to be nursed back to health as they're grieving, as they're dealing with the affair, the divorce, the job loss, whatever it is. But the idea is there's always an entry ramp. The idea is you will get back on. And God will use this as a step in your progress. And in fact, the entry ramp will be further along the road than where the, the exit was. You'll be further down the road as a result of this thing that God has allowed into your life, and now having been restored, you're renewed for the fight. Now, at each of those points, whether in transition or crisis, what can we and should we provide for people? I think we should provide uh, three things. We can provide classes, and that might be one session. It might be multiple sessions, depending on the need for that particular, that particular point but training in classes. Secondly, resources for 
that particular issue, that particular time in life. And then thirdly, support from people who have gone, have gone through that. So identifying the points, identifying the, the, the difficulties at each of the points, and then providing classes and resources and support at each of those for people to help them negotiate that. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, if you're still awake, that this road is going to have people entering it at different spots. Not everybody starts. We don't have a start line, do we? You have people just entering at different places. So what do you do with, with that? Well, you've got to, in effect, get people up to speed to merge into traffic as quickly as they can, to get moving on the road at whatever point they have joined. But at whatever point they have joined, as they enter the road to maturity, we need to do three things for them. We need to help fix what's gone wrong. Because that car that they're entering with is often beat up. And the reason it's been beat up is because they've experienced some bad stuff. Stuff that they've done or stuff that's been done to them or both. Baggage that they've brought along the way that needs to be dealt with. So fix what's wrong. But there's some things that they've learned along the way in God's common grace, even before they came to Jesus, that, that they did right. And maybe their parents taught them some good things, even if they were unsaved parents or something like that. But whatever is right, you want to enhance that. Fix what's wrong, enhance what's right. And then thirdly, prepare, prepare them for the next steps. Prepare them for the future. And so that means having some core issues that everybody deals with and some core truths that everybody needs to learn no matter where they come in to the maturity process. Now, we've had that at our church for a long time. In this process, we're looking to enhance that as, that as well. Now, that being the case, uh, what do we, with these classes, these resources, and the support that we want to give people at each of these, these points, what do we want those classes and those resources to focus on? Well, some of you know um, our, our motto is that or our, our purpose statement that Community Baptist Church exists to do three things. Does anybody know what those three things are? I, I'm sure you all do. You're just embarrassed to say so. But anyway, um, we exist to help people do three things. Learn about God. Love Him and others and live for His purpose. Learn and love and live. Now, those classes and those resources we want to give people at each of those steps, we want to help us, help them learn and love and live. Or to put it another way, learning feeds their mind. Living tells them how to activate their will, what they're supposed to do. And loving appeals to their affections, their emotions. So learning and living and loving is mind and emotion and will. And so those classes and those resources at those points will appeal to both of those as we help people learn about God, love Him and others, and live for, live for His purpose. Now with all of that,
That's, a, that's an ambitious project, would you guys say? How long will that take? Probably till I die or Jesus comes back. Whichever comes first. Why did I have you turn to Acts chapter 20? So above verse 13 in Acts 20, my Bible has a title. Many of yours will as well. It says, Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. And Paul, therefore, is is leaving. He's saying goodbye to them. And he has spent a lengthy period of time with this church in Ephesus. Enough time that leaders could be established. That's why he's gathered the elders of the church at Ephesus. And in fact, not only enough time that leaders have been able to be trained, but this is the longest period of time recorded in the Bible that Paul spent with any particular church. Many of the churches that you read about and to whom letters were written in your New Testament, like the church at Thessalonica, he spent a few months with them. The church at Corinth, he spent 18 months. But the church at Ephesus, if you look down at verse 31, he says, Be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, night and day, with tears. So he's with them for three years. It's the longest period of time that he's with any one church. Now, during that three years, remarkable things happen. Leaders are apparently trained. He's saying goodbye to them, these elders. But he also says, if you go up several verses, verse 25, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Here is why I'm innocent. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Wow. The whole will of God in three years. Now, some of you have heard me say they had some advantages. One would be Paul. You've got me and Matt. Okay? So they have Paul, and he's able to give them the whole will of God in three years. But they've got Paul. And he worked with them. He worked with his own hands, applying his tent maker trade. He says night and day with tears. So he spent a lot of time in those three years. So it's Paul, and it is a lot of time, intense time in those three years, granted. But I always point out something that we easily forget, that we have great advantages that they didn't have. Because none of those people had the writings of Paul. But we do. We have the writings of Paul to the church at Ephesus, as a matter of fact, the Ephesians. We have a completed Bible. None of them had a completed Bible. We have the printing press (laughs) so that everybody has a copy of the Bible. None of them had that. Not only that, but we have printed, published resources to educate people and to do this at targeted ages. This is all stuff they didn't have. 
So yes, they had advantages, but we have a number of advantages as well. Now, here's why I say that. Discipleship is indeed a lifelong process, no doubt about it. I've tried to describe that. Till the Lord takes us home or till he returns. But all things being equal, a person can be established in their faith. And they can, and they can productively move forward toward maturity within a defined period of time. Now, I don't know what that magic number is. It's different for people. But my experience is that within three to five years, all things being equal, if you offer people a track at the beginning, you help them get going on the road to maturity, that in three to five years, you can have somebody that's moving productively and at an accelerated rate toward maturity in Christ. Now, I don't care what the number is. I don't care if it's three years, four years, eight years. It doesn't matter. It's an ongoing process, no matter what. But here's what I do care about. That it is not an osmosis process. That it's not left to chance. That we take every person, Colossians 1.28. Our goal is to proclaim him and to teach and admonish every person with all wisdom so that we can present every person mature in Christ. That is too important. It is the mission that Jesus gave us to make disciples, baptize and teach everything that I've commanded you. So it cannot, it must not be left to chance or the normal discipleship process in our churches, which is by osmosis. And you know what I mean when I say that. If you'll just hang around long enough, you'll get the idea. Some of this stuff will rub off on you. The truth is, that's the way most of us were discipled. Hang around long enough, some of this will rub off on you. It's pretty much the way I was discipled. But I had God's grace on my life such that I grew up in a Christian home. And so I had a lot given to me to rub off on me, and I thank God for that. But the people we're trying to reach, most of them don't have that, right? So we have to be intentional about that. And we say, you start here, and you move here, and this is where we are heading. And we want every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, no matter their background, no matter what they've experienced, no matter what they've done, to come to Christ and then begin and accelerate in the process of growing in Christ. Now, that's then our ambitious moving to maturity process. We are now and have been putting together the details of those classes, those resources, those support groups at each of those levels. We're looking to put that into printed format so that we can simply present that to people, show them what we have, show you what we can offer for you. But as you might have expected, in order for all that to happen, you not only are going to soak that in, but you're going to play a role in making that happen. In order for that to occur, the church, all of us, have to use the gifts and abilities that God has given each of us in order to play an active role in having that happen. Now, if you think that that's a good idea, if you think that what we've laid out is a biblical idea, ambitious though it be, it's what God wants us to do. 
And if you agree with that, and you're on board with that, and you say, yes, I would like to see that happen, then if you're a member of our church, you're going to play an active role, some role, in making that happen. If you're not a member of our church, I encourage you to consider that so that you can play an active role in seeing that happen. This is the mission that Jesus has given us. Make disciples. Mature people into the image of Jesus. Use the gifts and abilities that I have given you in the institution that I have established, namely the church, to carry out my work. We as leaders need to provide you a pathway, a way to do that. We're doing our level best to make that happen. When we make that happen, as we make that happen, then every brother and sister in our church is to play an active role in moving that forward. Now, I could start in our final four minutes telling you about your active role, but I've only got four minutes, so I won't. I'm going to shut up, okay? But I want to end with this. I want you all to think about what we've laid out. Think about, just think about, just try to cast in your mind a vision for what that could look like. I mean, th- think about having a resource center at our ministry center where people go in and they've got a display called Moving to Maturity. And on the shelves in the resource center at our ministry center, under Moving Toward Maturity, are all the things they need to help them at the point they are at in their lives. So stuff for them to read, other resources for them, classes for them to take. All of it is right there, and it's all labeled according to the various categories. So they don't have to scrounge around. They don't have to go to the bookstore and look at the shelves and go, I have no earthly idea. And then they pick up a Joyce Meyer book. Now I just lost half of you. You get the idea I'm not a big Joyce Meyer. So there's all these, you know, all this stuff out there. They have no earthly idea, but they know they need something, so they grab it. And the truth is we can help you with things that will really be helpful for you at those points. So think about that. Imagine that. God's given us this place, and one area of this place is going to be a resource center for people to be able to get those things, take those classes, Participate in those support groups. Now think about what God could do and what I expect He will do for your children and my children as we prepare them at each step and we prepare you at each step along the, along the path of their lives to help them grow to maturity in Jesus. I expect, I expect that there will not be 70% of our young people who leave. In fact, I'm looking for at least 70% of our young people to stay and serve Jesus. At least. We want every last one of them to do that. When I say stay, I don't mean necessarily here. I mean stay walking with Jesus. Wherever that is. They're going to walk with the Lord. They're going to know what that looks like. And they're going to be equipped to do that. Now, friends, think about the beauty of that. Do that this week. And we will tell you how you can participate in it, okay? And in the coming weeks, and then pray about our ability to get into the ministry center in the coming months, and we'll go from there, okay? Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for the wisdom that ordained the institution of the church. Thank you for it in general. I thank you for the body of Christ, capital B, worldwide. I thank you for brothers and sisters, both in our town, in our region, in our country. I thank you for brothers and sisters in the regions beyond. Those who know Jesus, who have been called out of the world and to yourself, part of the body of Christ, and with whom we will celebrate your, your glory in eternity, and with whom we are united in purpose and in heart, though separated geographically. So I thank you for the church. I thank you for the universal church, the body of Christ. But I thank you for establishing and carrying out your work through local visible assemblies, outposts in, on the path to maturity, and lighthouses in a fallen and dark world. I thank you for forming this church and bringing this group of brothers and sisters together in order to be the church in this community. And I thank you for all of that because we acknowledge, Lord, that you don't need us at all, that you could have chosen other methods to accomplish your work. But in your wisdom, you have chosen us to be your hands and your feet and your eyes in your world. And so, Lord, help me to see it as the privilege it is. Help my brothers and sisters here to see it as the great privilege that it is. And now as we shoulder this work and, and take it to the next level, because you've provided this place for us, a center for ministry, then Lord, help us to carry out ministry. Help us to carry it out regularly and effectively and intentionally. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters here would see it as a privilege and be eager to be a part of using the gifts and abilities that you have given them to channel into that blessed work. Lord, I pray that as a result of this, that we would pass on generational wisdom, that we would help prepare young people for each step along the way so that they are maturing in Christ and they're navigating the, the transitions, the natural transitions of life in a Christ-like way, growing intellectually, making proper choices volitionally, and, and, and cultivating affections, desires, emotions that are God-honoring at each step along the way as they become like Jesus. And Lord, as we engage in this for the balance of our lives and our ministry, we're going to see many victories along the way. Many people won to you. Many people reclaimed to you. Many people restored back on the road to maturity. And only eternity is going to tell how many people have been affected by those that have been ministered to by this church at this place in this time. Thank you, Lord God, for bringing us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Go with us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.